everyone, and welcome to our 26th episode of Picture the Scene podcast with me, Rachel. And me, Andrew. I'm so sorry to have missed you on the last recording, uh, but not going to lie, guys, I was very poorly. So very grateful for Andrew for giving me the week off, um, and he did a great job um, on the show. I've not listened to the whole episode, not going to lie, yet, um, but it is on my to-do list today, Andrew, I promise. Shock horror. How was it recording on your own again? It was weird because I kept wanting to talk to you, but um, but I got through it. It, it was much short, shorter than normal. I bet I wasn't waffling on. <laughs> A waffle is important. Yeah, and on to today's show, which has actually been inspired by a previous recording where Andrew shared with me the shocking story of John and Lorena Bobbitt. Um, yeah, so just wanted to kind of call out, and I'm sure Andrew has done so already, but. A listener actually got um, in touch with us at the time when um, that particular crime was mentioned on episode 24 and um, and yet yeah, corrected some of the facts um, that, that Andrew might have stated at the time. Um, so, so, yeah, we just wanted to kind of call it out, didn't we, that um, it was noted and apologies for anything that was um, kind of said that wasn't factually correct. I tell you something. It's a good job you've already said that you didn't listen to last week, last episode yet, because I, I, I said all that. If you if you hadn't and pretended, people were like, "She's lying." <laughs> yeah, I can't lie. Just a fun fact for our listeners: can't tell a lie. Cool. Okay, so as is the usual protocol, before we get stuck into today's episode, I have a couple of bits to run through with you, our wonderful dedicated listeners. I would like to remind you that this is a true crime podcast, so listener caution is advised. Now, there is a trigger warning on today's episode. We are covering a case on domestic abuse. And when conducting the research for this show, there were many varying opinions on the case. Now, I have tried to stay as neutral as possible, um, but where I do make a comment, um, it is my own opinion. I'm not stating facts. Okay, so we welcome your feedback on the episode and on the show in general. So please head over to our socials and subscribe and rate us on your podcast app of choice. It continues to amaze me how many of you keep on returning to listen to the show. We're so lucky to have you with us and we always love to hear from you. So if you do rate us, I just want to say one more time, please go out and recommend us to a friend as we'd love to continue growing our listener base. And now the admin part is over, Andrew. How have you been since we last caught up? I've been great. Fine and dandy, Rachel. Good. A little healthier than I have been? Yes. Yes, a little healthier. Just for the benefit of our listeners, I found out yesterday what I had, and it was acute food poisoning. It was awful. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm very grateful to be back and healthy again and able to look after my daughter, even, you know, come to work. Yeah, all is all is well again. So in case anyone was worried, back to full health now. I bet that's the last time you eat food that you find on the floor. <laughs> or that's cooked by my fiancé. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah cool okay and uh, listen I can't uh, not mention it it's episode 26 what are you thinking about that it's do you know what it's it's a, if people are wondering why she's saying episode 26 it's a year because we, we, we produce weekly bi-weekly that makes it a year so it's crazy a year's worth of episodes yeah and... yeah a fortnightly pod a full year of picture the scene and it, it just feels amazing to have reached that milestone. It does, yeah. It does, yeah. And we're still, we've not been, like, cancelled or anything yet. Buzzing. No, no. And just actually, just as a, 
um, as an aside, as well as our, our social medias, which we advertise on a frequent basis, we did actually launch our Patreon a couple of weeks ago. Now it's just to try and at the moment get a extra microphone for Rachel and whatnot. But um, I've set it. I've set the tiers at. I think it's a pound or euro. I can't remember which currency I did it in, but one unit per month. So it's not a huge amount. So if anyone wants to support us, we'd be happily accept it and be grateful. But if you don't, we're still going to produce the content, so it's all good. Yeah, and we're looking at how we kind of produce some additional content for our Patreon supporters, aren't we, Andrew? So yes, we'll well, we have benefit. some, we will. Yeah, yeah. And listen, I just uh, kind of wanted to drop in here, not something I've mentioned to you previously, but I actually think we should re-record episode one as a one-year special. Uh, what do you reckon, Andrew? Do you know what? I was thinking about this myself the other day. We haven't, we seriously haven't discussed this. People, no. But, um, I was thinking about suggesting that to you the other day because I did have someone on one of the socials, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names, say to me, this is great, but where's episode one? Yeah. I said, well, it's because Rachel didn't exist then. And um, I did exist. Yes. (laughs) Rudely wasn't invited. I agree with you. Um, And I have a couple of friends who have recommended the pod too, and they're like, you know, for their like OCD, or just general, like where, where, where the hell's episode one? So yeah, why don't we um, just, just get it recorded as a one year special? Why not? I've still got the script, so yeah, let's go. Let's cool. do it. Okay, but for now, are you ready for some true crime? Most definitely, yes. Okay, well, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. Today, we're taking you back in time to Tuesday, the 22nd of June in 1993, to a town called Manassas in Virginia in the US. On any normal day, Manassas is a charming, sleepy old town, but at picture the scene, we don't do normal days now, do we? On this day, temperatures reached high to 31.1 degrees Celsius, 87.98 degrees Fahrenheit, and skies were completely clear that evening leaving the residents of Manassas with a beautiful sunset at around 8.38pm. Not long before sunset that day, Lorena Bobbitt, a 24-year-old nanny and manicurist, had finished her shift at work, and after a long, hot day in the salon, she returned home in the early evening, only to find her husband, John, was out drinking with his friend, Robert, who was visiting from New York. Robert and John had left earlier that day to hit the town, and meet some friendly faces around DC and have a laugh. They had no firm plans other than to see where the afternoon of drinking would take them. John was discharged from the Marines two years earlier in 1991, and he'd not been able to hold down a steady job since leaving. This had left Lorena to cover the household bills and maintenance with her two jobs as a nanny and manicurist at the local nail salon. And as you can imagine, knowing he'd been out spending money and drinking all afternoon had riled her up somewhat. That would... um... That would, I know I don't swear often, but that would piss me off something chronic. If I was working two jobs and I knew my my other half was just drinking the money away in the afternoon as well. So it's not even if it's an evening drink. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Especially like it's been a hot day, you know, probably wouldn't mind a nice cool drink yourself and, you know, spending some time with your partner or, you know, whatever that looks like or a friend. Yeah, you'd be pretty annoyed. I agree. She's about to get even more annoyed, though. Just spoiler alert. Okay, so later on that evening, Lorena took herself off to bed and at some point fell asleep. 
until around 4am the following day, Wednesday 23rd of June, when John and Robert returned to the apartment, awaking Lorena as they bashed around the home with no consideration for anyone who might be asleep. In Lorena's words, John was loaded to the gills with alcohol, crawled into bed and decided to help himself because, and she quotes here, that's my wife and I do what I want. Lorena claimed at this point he ripped her underwear and proceeded to rape her, as was the norm when he returned home drunk. Shortly after the assault, John had rolled over and proceeded to fall asleep, at which point Lorena made a move towards the kitchen for a glass of water, which had almost become a ritual after her husband's drunken nights. But on this fateful night, things took a sinister turn. As she stood sipping her water, Lorena clocked the kitchen knife on the countertop and without thinking, immediately grasped it in her hand. Quoted as saying, so many things came to my mind, told ABC News during an interview back in 93. Things like the very first time he hit me, the torture, the beatings, the forced sex, everything, it just came so fast. And with the knife clenched in her hand, Lorena proceeded to move back to the bedroom where she removed the sheets off her sleeping husband and cut his penis clear off. Yes, I mean, I'm thinking about this, and obviously when I spoke about it, I only had vague memories. But to start with, I think they you shouldn't have to, not that you should tell you that's the wrong word, you shouldn't ever feel like you can take something like that from someone. I don't mean uh, her taking his penis, I mean him forcing himself on her. Yeah. It's just because you're in a relationship, it doesn't mean that you can... Um, there still well, has to there still has to be a, a two way agreement on these things, doesn't there? Absolutely. Consent is still very much needed, especially in the case of like being drunk as well. Um, when one party is and one party isn't. But um, you know, luckily this was many years ago, what, nearly thirty years ago, a marital rape is is now a thing. Um, so absolutely categorically, you know, he would have been um, breaking the law, doing what he did that night. He would have been, but sadly, it wouldn't have stopped. I don't think he would have stopped him for people that do this sort of thing. I don't think the fact that it's seen as, well, it is illegal and seen as wrong by most people. It isn't seen as wrong by these people because they do it in the first place, don't they? Um, no, but it, it might have given her more um, ammunition, maybe, to... Uh, yeah, I guess what you know that saying. things aren't right, and um, a, di- yeah. a different outlet rather than having to resort to chopping his really off. My, yeah, and 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 her even getting in the mindset of he's my husband, he can do what he want with me. Yes, and um, yes. I'm not for one minute saying that she ever thought like that, but yeah. Now I did just want to pause here to discuss how things escalated at such a pace uh, that evening because a mere 24 hours earlier Lorena had been at the local police station to take out a protective order against her husband oh, wow. she, yeah yeah and she actually ended up leaving without taking out the protective order because the officers informed her it could take up to three hours to process the request but knowing her husband was abusive why on earth did she return to the marital home on the 22nd I can't answer the question because I've not mm. been in that situation but no. I guess it's, for want of a horrible phrase, sometimes it's better the devil you know, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and on that point, Lorena was not um, a US native. So she was born in Ecuador in 1969 and raised in Venezuela. But she spent her childhood attending Catholic church and watching American television. So from a very early age, set her sights on living the American dream with hopes of one day marrying a wholesome American man. 
That day finally came when she was granted her U.S. student visa. She enrolled in the Northern Virginia Community College and then shortly after met John Bobbitt in late 1988. Only a mere nine months later, on the 18th of June 1989, Lorena and John married. Now, they both have very different stories of how the proposal played out and how their marriage started in the good old he said, she said fashion. But they both agree on the fact that they were young and crazy in love at the time of the wedding. Sounds like a dream, doesn't it? You, you want to get to a country, you get there, you find love, you start an education. It does sound like the beginning of a um, stereotypical feel-good movie, doesn't it? Yeah, and just, just think how it played out as well. She met a Marine, like, you know, John was in yeah. uniform almost permanently. And, like, if she'd have seen, like, one of the TV shows she watched was The Flintstones. But, yeah, if she'd have seen, like, American kind of movies where, you know, Top Gun, Top Gun would have been out by then, right? She'd have Top met her very own. Yeah, Top Gun was yeah. I think. So she'd have met her very own, you know, Tom Cruise. Would have, well, I know he wasn't a Marine. But but yeah, a uniformed man and how that must have played out in her head must have been magical. Yeah. But only two months later, Lorena claims the physical abuse started with John attacking and assaulting her on multiple occasions. Reading into this case, which has been covered on multiple US news channels, as you can imagine, I found there were a number of complaints of domestic violence at the Bobbitt's apartment over the coming years and claims of violence and arguing by both parties. But only in one instance were charges actually brought forward, with John being arrested on assault and battery. However, he actually got a cross warrant against Lorena at the time and charged her with assault and battery. This Crazy. ultimately led... Yeah, yeah. But, like, I didn't even realise that was a thing. You know, husband's kind of charged. Okay, well, I'm going to cross-charge her. But it ultimately led to the charges being completely dismissed. Now, at this point, it wasn't Lorena's only brush with the law prior to cutting her husband's penis off. In the years running up to that incident, she was caught and admitted shoplifting several dresses from a Nordstrom store. Now, she ended up doing some community service as punishment for that crime. But she also stole $7,000 from her friend and employer, Jana Basuti. Now, she's a salon owner. Now, Jana soon found out what had happened and made her pay back every penny she took. Basuti continued to employ her and support her as a friend despite wow. the theft. That's amazing, yeah. isn't it? What sort I, of that's a, that's a friend that we all want, isn't it? I, I know, mean, I don't, not so you can steal from them, but <laughs> that sort of loyalty and friendship that you'd still stand by someone who's done something like that to you. Yeah, I completely agree. I find it really heartwarming because usually these things don't play out that way, do they? No. Um, but we know obviously that Lorena was working in that nail salon at the time of of the incident with John. So, um, so yeah, obviously, Jana had probably seen she was young, vulnerable, you know, and, and kind of taken her under her wing and, and looked after her. That's nice. Now, again, it's it's a tricky one, but I'm going to approach it. If, if John was an abuser, and I'll explain in a bit why abuser word was, I can't imagine that that would have sat well with him. You do hear of controlling partners being absolutely outraged when the abused does something that could bring a spotlight or shame on the family. Yes. So I really can't imagine it was a great time in the Bobbitt household. But I also can't help but wonder what she did with the $7,000 as well. Obviously, she had to pay back every penny, um, but it wasn't documented anywhere, you know, about that particular theft. It was well documented that Lorena had expensive taste and yearned for the luxurious lifestyle. After they married, John was quoted as them having to leave a studio apartment for a more luxurious two-bed apartment, something he protested was a big struggle on their two wages. So, so yeah, I don't know whether that 
$7,000 might have been used to support the cost of living at the time. Although, although just to, like, I'm not siding with either party here, but he was complaining that a two-bedroom apartment was a struggle on the two wages that she was earning. Well, no, at the time he was still in the Marines. Ah, okay, fair When enough. they moved. But yeah, he got discharged later, which is when she took up the second job. But you're right, you know, he, he was discharged from the Marines. And whilst he did try and get work and he was in and out of work, he could make a job hold down. So he wasn't giving it his, you know, full effort to keep that household afloat. And and yeah, that's where I think maybe the seven thousand dollars was was used to um to support, you know, pay rent, put food on the table. Fair enough. And, you know, I've kind of already mentioned it was really tricky to navigate a lot of the press articles written at the time as they really sensationalized the crime and made John look like a victim of a frenzied attack from a lover scorned. And I say this because John, who was twenty six at the time of the incident, believes Lorena was actually provoked by his request for a divorce which he dropped into conversation just days earlier. So he requested a divorce? Or is that what he's claiming? Mm, yes. No, I was going to say, obviously, he there's no kind of, like, official documentation requesting a divorce, but he had apparently dropped it into conversation that, you know, they obviously didn't love for each, love each other anymore and that, yeah, he wanted a divorce. See, I was at that time, I was... This was 1993. Mm-hmm. So I was 13. I'm giving my age away there. Mm-hmm. I was 13, and but I did actually read the newspapers quite a lot then. And I remember mainly the newspapers I read anyway. It was all about just he'd gone to sleep and she decided mm-hmm. just to chop it off and drive down the street and throw it out the window with no, like, full story. story. Yeah. And that's why I said it to you, because that's all I could remember. But yeah. But yeah, it's 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 strange how. See, this is why actually going off on a, ta- a tangent slightly here. Mm. At the time, that type of news reporting, and it wasn't just for that story. That was seen as perfectly normal and standard, wasn't it? And it wasn't. Yeah. And it's only looking back on it with hindsight that you can think, "Oh wow, how biased or incorrect was that?" But but because it was seen as normal. It, those type of things do impact the attitude that you have, don't you? And the opinion that you have and how I, you... I, I feel that not a lot's been rectified in, in the media in this day and age, though. Um, and whilst the court would play it out very differently, I feel the media would still sensationalise the act of, a, you know, a crazy woman. The words that they use are very clever. You know, you know woman cuts man's penis off, woman must have been angry and crazy and yeah. you know all of this instead of what possibly could that man have done to deserve such a brutal attack and again it's very tricky to stay neutral this is just my opinion but you know I'll, i will go on to touch on some of this yeah well i wait i wait with bated breath yeah so john's timeline of events plays out very differently to lorena's john has vehemently denied any allegations of abuse physically or mentally throughout their relationship. And in fact, he counter-argued that Lorena was a volatile, jealous and manipulative wife who always threatened violence if he looked at another woman, never mind suggested leaving her. Now, this case has reignited debate in the press and media in recent times following the Me Too movement and laws being passed on marital rape. And of course, the spotlight on domestic violence and specifically coercive control. But this was massively overshadowed during the original trial back in 1994, with the story actually sparking jokes, limericks, 
and even a TV special, which raised $250,000 to cover the outstanding costs of John's surgery. I just want to stop and kind of say, where was the financial, emotional and physical support for Lorena? You know, she was the subject to so many jokes in the 90s. And to me, that just feels really unkind and cruel. Even if, you know, even if she had this, you know, psychotic break where she didn't realise what she was doing at the time, like, where was the support for her? You know, whilst John was kind of going off and kind of attending TV appearances and, you know, branding himself as, you know, the man, you know, that, yeah. that, that was the victim. Like, I just, I really couldn't help but but feel sorry for her when, you know, she was the butt of the jokes. And, yeah, it was just no one was kind of putting an arm around her at the time, making sure she was okay. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's go back to the night in question. Shortly after the attack, Lorena fled the apartment, holding the knife in one hand and her husband's penis in the other. Now she got into the car and drove off. At the time, she said she was in such a state over what she'd done, she didn't even realise she was still holding on to the penis when she got into the car. In her TV interview, she stated, I couldn't recall, I couldn't, I can, I can recall, I couldn't make a turn because my hands were full. And then I saw what it was. I looked closely at it and screamed. I just threw it out the window and drove off as fast as I could. Lorena eventually arrived at her boss at Basuti's house, where she collapsed in hysterics, not to mention covered in blood, and so Basuti called the police. Upon her arrest, Lorena was taken down to the station, and in her police statement, which was tape recorded, she was asked why she'd cut off the penis, and her response was, he always has orgasm, and he doesn't wait for me to ever have orgasm. He's selfish. Ooh. So does that, does that, it kind of goes against what she said, doesn't it? Because, and yeah. of course she was afraid. She could have been afraid, but maybe, I don't know. It, I mean, she's being interviewed by two men. And, yes. you know, she's she's had a moment of, you know, um, realizing what she's done. She said it herself, like in the car, kind of, you know, kind of comes to, she might just be, you know, defending herself, not maybe not wanting to get John in trouble as well. I don't know. It could also, um, it could also be. I'm thinking out loud here, so this could be totally wrong. But when you are, when you have like diminished responsibility, when they mm-hmm. say you have a, like a psychotic break or something snaps, she could have been trying all this time, and this is my opinion, to try and justify to herself mm-hmm. why he does what he does. If that yeah. makes sense. And some of her justification could have been, I'm not saying it was a right justification, but it could have been, well, he's my husband, I'm his wife, I should not question when he wants to do this type of thing, I should just let him do it. And so in her head, if she's trying to normalise it, I think Mm. this the act isn't wrong, but she's got all this anger because she's, um, deep down she knows it's wrong, but she's trying to normalise it. It could be... Well, he didn't even let me finish because he's trying, you know, that, that type of thing. I don't know. I'm yeah. just trying to and piece it, it together in my head. And the other thing to kind of highlight at this stage is that this this abuse had been going on for, what, four years since their marriage wow. started. So, yes. you know, if 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 it is indeed, like, as, as bad as she says it is, there'd been this chronic, like, abuse pattern. And, um, you know, she was essentially a victim but potentially you know worried about getting her husband in trouble because she'd not ever cried out that he'd you know raped her before 
what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Do you know when someone's been in prison for too long and they say they're institutionalised, i.e. they can't, mm. if they was released, they couldn't cope on, on the outside. Yeah. What's the equivalent word I'm looking for if someone's been in an abusive relationship and they don't see Isn't a way it like out? Munchausen's? No. No. Munchausen is, no. Is that when you empathise with your attacker, your abuser, your captor? Stockholm syndrome. Could it be? Oh, that? yeah. I don't. I don't know the word for um for that, Andrew. He was charged later on that morning with malicious wounding, and officers warned her if found guilty, she'd face up to twenty years in prison. Wow. I I can't help as well but think that those officers must have been wincing when they were interrogating her. Like, you know. They would have been wincing, but also, also you got to think. It was probably extremely biased as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, two middle-aged male and And they have officers. to... Yeah, they have to also... Now, obviously, they're good police people out there, but they're also bad. Like every profession, you get good and bad in every job. Yeah. They'll be target-driven, and their target is to solve crimes. So yeah. if they see a vulnerable woman in front of them who it's obvious she, that she's she done what, been accused of and she's probably admitting to it as well yeah she's probably they're probably putting the pressure on as well yeah yeah to to get the result i mean i, I probably watch too much nypd boo <laughs> but uh they're probably putting the pressure on to get like a slam dunk they call it don't they yeah yeah absolutely okay so meanwhile on the other side of town john who'd actually slept through the slicing as he was so intoxicated mm. Um, he did, only did he say I'm cutting you off here. I know people don't like that, but did he? He slept through it and he just he just carried on being asleep. Well, he woke up in a pool of blood. So um, also he was yeah. awake before the police got there. Well, the police didn't get there. Yeah, let me let me play this one out. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so he only woke up after the penis was off and screamed out to his friend Robert, who then sped up sped the pair off to the nearest hospital. Which I actually found really strange as they were tanked. But again, I can't see anything that suggested they got in a taxi. So, yeah, I just thought that was a bit odd. His friend Robert drove him to the hospital. Yeah, so you said he drove in a tank? No, he was tanked. They were Oh, tanked, sorry. Yeah, no, he didn't get in a tank. But that would have been sensationalised in the story, wouldn't it? Then got in a tank. It'd also be about five miles an hour, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, upon arrival to the emergency department, the doctor on call actually thought the blood was coming from a wound on John's wrist, but it didn't take long to realise that there was no cut on his arm or his wrist. And when the emergency doctor discovered where the blood was coming from, his jaw dropped to the floor. It would, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would, yeah. Now, immediately, he contacted the plastic surgeon and the urologist, but I just wanted to pause to highlight at this point. The penis was still MIA. So of what course, the hell... Yeah. Yeah, what the hell must that poor doctor been thinking about calling in a plastic surgeon urologist when he's got nothing to work with here, like, you know? Yeah, and okay. I don't mean to be sound like I'm making light of it, but just in my head, I was, you know, if I can chuckle at one element of this case, it's that the A&E doctor was like, yep, get the plastic surgeon on the phone, but, you know, the penis has not been located, like, yeah, maybe I'm what am I supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. So the I I did read read an article, but it was so biased. But yeah, I read this article about this plastic surgeon's like journey to the hospital, thinking right, 
So the, the penis hasn't been located, but I'm going to need to surgically attach it. I've done this on plenty of fingers. I'll be fine. But, uh, but yeah, like, just a bit wild. But don't they have, like, I'm not a biologist here, but <laughs> don't, they, don't they have, like, tubes and stuff they have to hook back up again? You, you know what? I kind of, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to lie. Not I don't go know. Yeah. But luckily for John, shortly after his arrival at hospital, the penis was located in a small field on the side of a road. Now, there was a 7-Eleven nearby. There always appears in American like crime stories or dramas, whatever. There's 7-Elevens are everywhere. Yeah, but yeah, they yeah, the officers who found the penis called in. They grabbed a hot dog bag, filled it with ice, placed the penis in, and transported it to hospital. Ouch. <laughs> uh, can you imagine like that? Being, that's a, that's know, a bit of luck, really, because yeah, because it's like um, five o'clock in the morning finding it, yeah. Did it? Did I read somewhere? I don't mean to contradict you here. No. That she led them to where she threw it out the window. She might. I mean, no, I didn't read anything that suggested she was out with the cops searching for the dick. Sorry, the penis. I may, have just, I may have just been making it up. Yeah, no, just that they were literally searching through a field with torches, well, fields. So she she must have said it was off of this roundabout or this was nearby or it was approximately 10 minutes drive from the house where I'm at right now. Yeah. But yeah, so you'll probably all be well aware that the penis was surgically reattached after a nine and a half hour surgery with John having most of his original functionality restored. In fact, John went on to star in a porn movie called John Wayne Bobbitt Uncut. And actually, I think I read he did another porn movie at a later date because his penis wasn't fully functioning in the time of the original one. I think he was, you know, for bragging rights, wanted to kind of like show it in its full um, function. Um, although I just do want to caveat that I've, I'm not sure there are any scenes of his actual John Thomas in action. And whilst I understand we have to research our cases, I did draw the line at <laughs> researching that one. Well, I am, like, I'm shocked. No, what, what no. sort? Of, what sort of research is this? I know, I know, yeah. No, half a job. But the Bobbitt case... <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Bobbitt sorry. case don't apologise. Uh, the Bobbitt case has actually been referred to in um, a number of, of movies and songs, so I'm just going to list off a couple to name a few. So Fight Club. The, the movie Lady Killers, which was the Coen Brothers 2004 remake. An episode Terrible of Family film. Guy. Oh, is it not a great film? Lady Killers. I love the Coen Brothers, but I didn't like that film. Mm, no, I've not seen it. I've seen it. Uh, it was referred to an episode of Family Guy. Uh, you can guess who was involved in that scene. Uh, Quagmire and, and <laughs> Peter. Uh, an Eminem song. Uh, a Philip Roth novel. And even as recently as a Lizzo song. Um, to name Ooh, a few. Lizzo is a singer. Yes, Lizzo is a singer. Hair toss. Have you heard that song? Hair toss. Yeah. Well, good as hell, I think it's called. But no, does I her don't... hair toss check the nails? I'm not going to sing. I don't if listen you, to pop music. If you had a five-year-old daughter like I do, that that's a firm favorite in uh, in the household. Yeah, easy, catchy lyrics. Yeah. So so yeah, so. Now we're just going to move on to the trial. So the case went to trial, and in fact, it went to two separate trials. So late in 1993 for John and early in 1994 for Lorena. John was charged with the marital sex assault based on Lorena's claims that he'd raped her. 
He pled not guilty, and his court case lasted just three days, running from the 8th to the 10th of November. And John was eventually acquitted of all charges after a short deliberation from the jury on the 11th of November. Now, cameras were not allowed inside the court as it was a sexual assault case, which I completely understand. But it doesn't seem fair when Lorena's trial was broadcast for the media for everyone to see. No, that's not fair. Mm-mm. So as mentioned earlier, Lorena was charged for and trialed for malicious wounding and claimed to the court that John had sexually assaulted, abused and raped her for years. Lorena's trial lasted a total of 13 days, starting on the 10th of January and running until the 22nd of January 1994. She was eventually found not guilty due to temporary insanity on the 24th of January 1994 and was sent to a psychiatric ward for 45 days. She was released on the 1st of March, 1994, and deemed not a threat to herself or society. Shortly after, unsurprisingly, she filed for divorce from John, which was finalised in 95, two years after the incident. Wow. During the trial, despite intense media coverage and many making jokes about the case, Lorena amassed hundreds of supporters who saw her as a survivor taking on extreme measures against her alleged abuser, which I'm sure would have helped her cope knowing she had so many behind her rooting for her. But bearing in mind that trial was six, six or seven months after the incident, so she spent a fair bit of time, you know, on her own, um, you know, with that intense media coverage and not having those supporters backing her yeah. outside the courts. Both John and Lorena went on to face further arrests and charges in the late 1990s and early 2000s. So Lorena was arrested for assaulting her mother. He was later found not guilty. But John actually had three separate charges brought against him. One in 1999, which was a felony charge, which he pled guilty to, of attempted robbery after stealing $140,000 worth of clothes from a store in Nevada. Wow. I'm guessing that store wasn't Primark. Well, he was um, he was a lorry truck driver, so I'm guessing he, you know, potentially claimed. Um, and I didn't read into the story because I didn't want to sensationalize again, like any of his crimes um, after the the case that I covered. But I'm guessing he, you know, claimed that the lorry had been ransacked or that he maybe just thought he could get away with taking that much worth of, of clothing and no one would really blink an eye. But it must have been a big pain store. Yeah. Now, that same year, he was found guilty of harassing an ex-girlfriend. And then later on in 2002, he was charged with battering his third wife. And, you know, just want to pause again. Three wives. Can't believe two other women married him after what had happened. Um, but eventually he was found not guilty of, of the um, battery charges against his third wife. So, again, yeah. I know, you know, something that's been said is that, you know, he's clearly got form because, you know, he was charged with something at a later date. But, yeah, he was found not guilty. So he's actually not had a great life. Uh, since uh, the early 2000s, he was involved in a road traffic accident and has lost the use of his legs. Um, so he's now wheelchair bound. He comes out every so often doing interviews, kind of, you know, to keep the money trickling in on uh, references to the Bobbitt case. Um, so he is kind of funding his lifestyle through that. But Lorena, I just kind of wanted to finish on, on a really positive note. Lorena has since gone on to set up a foundation, Lorena's Red Wagon Foundation, which is a non-profit that helps domestic abuse survivors. Lorena has also been key in the community. She stayed in Manassas, where where she obviously lived with John. And, um, you know, she's been a pillar of the community with fundraisers and, you know, helping out at the school. Every time there is a documentary on the case, Lorena steps down 
and steps out of kind of her post with her foundation and you know the school and the community as well uh, for out of respect whilst you know the dust kind of settles and then we'll regroup and and refocus uh, she absolutely doesn't use the case to promote herself or or make any money from it uh, she settled down with a partner although never remarried they share a daughter together and have been together for over 20 years that's good news then yeah yeah so i just kind of want to highlight one more time this was a really tricky case to cover and given both parties were actually found not guilty of the charges brought against them which i kind of referenced at the start it was a giant case of he said she said and i do actually feel uh, this is my own opinion that the jury passed the only verdict they could when brought up against such tricky charges and testimony and character references because at the end of the day that's what the jury is there for right yeah yeah so what do you think about that yeah it's good to get some more information on it and yeah it's, it's an odd one i think that like my opinion from listening to you and i I read a little bit as well in between episodes. I can't believe that there wasn't in one form or another some form of abuse. Now, 100% there was definitely a dysfunctional relationship, whichever way you look at it. But I don't see how there's always trigger points for things. And if, if I'm, I'm giving my opinion here, but if if Lorraine had some sort of psychological issue then this would have cropped up again and again afterwards, wouldn't it? Because what you said, she spent like, she even spent 45 days in an institution and they deemed her fine. So I don't know. It feels like there must have been some sort of abuse. Now, they are probably, I guess the only people who truly know that will be him and her. And looking at the way the two lives have gone since then, the fact that his life has turned to crap and her life seems to have flourished, it probably indicates where the issue was, but but again, I guess that's my opinion. Yeah, and I think that was really sensitively put, and I, I would agree with you. I'm inclined to suggest that, you know, it, it absolutely on both sides wasn't your kind of standard relationship, clearly volatile and with thoughts and feelings, but, you know, no one deserves to be taken advantage of regardless of, of marriage or, you know, and anything like that. And I feel like at the time, if this had been tried in, in, in today, if this had happened recently, I don't think the press would have done anything different. I think they absolutely would have sensationalized everything. However, I feel like the John probably would have faced some sort of repercussions of his actions, like towards, uh, you know, you might not, you might not be guilty of all of those charges, but actually there's there's a pattern of abuse here and, and that's what you are guilty of, you know, and, and maybe that, that might have played out that way. But, you know, he was just acquitted after a three-day trial and it, it was a breeze, like the jury were out for a couple of hours and then, yep, not guilty, whereas Lorena's very different, you know, and I get it, the charges were completely different as well. But, uh, but yeah, I just feel like maybe if it had been tried in, in today's world, it would have been very different yeah probably okay I, I would have to say rachel i always love it when you do an episode because it, it's nice to sit back and listen and um i know you put a lot of effort into them so so thank you i've i've, I've as much as you can enjoy listening about this type of thing i have enjoyed it 
Well, thanks for the recommendation, Andrew. So uh, thank you too. And uh, if any of our amazing listeners have any suggestions for any future episodes, please get in touch and we'll add you to the list. And what we will do before the next episode, I'm committing Rachel to something here. Yeah. So I'll cut this out, Rachel, if you, if you don't agree. But, um, <laughs> we'll record the first episode again, yeah. just as an extra. And yeah. then the next episode we record as normal. Yeah, perfect. Let's get it done. Awesome. Okay, Great. so for one last time today, I'd like all of you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. It's a hot summer evening. You're settling down into bed. You might want to consider falling asleep on your front. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And before we go, we're actually recording this, everyone, on the 26th of August, Friday the 26th of August. And it is today International Dog Day. Yay! And it's there to recognise both. It's there to recognise dogs who provide support and service to people. So if you do have a little fairy friend with four legs who barks, then give him an extra treat. Love it. Yes. That sounds amazing. And share your photos of your dogs, guys. We love Uh, dogs. I love dog photos, yes. Oh, lovely. Thanks, guys. And thanks, Andrew. Thanks all. Goodbye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.